G'day, welcome to Two Coaches and a Coffee, where uh, Darren and I are split across the world at the moment, so if our sound quality is a little bit off, we apologise, but welcome, Darren. How's uh, how's things in your part of the world? Yeah, thanks, Chase. Uh, good to good to be chatting to you again. Um, uh, all going okay here. We're all, let's probably go, get straight into our first sort of discussion. Uh, it's now Thursday, uh, the 23rd, and we're about to start pre-season next week, uh, which is about a, a sort of a 12-week pre-season, 12 weeks of training skimmed across or spread across sort of 16, 17 weeks of of actual time because the uh, players get a fair bit of time off these days compared to what it used to be. Um so yeah, we're I'm in uh, in sort of spreadsheet and pro- training program team builder, you know, just going through all of that stuff over the last couple of weeks and getting staff aligned and speaking to coaches about uh, plans for the season and and probably before we get into the nuts and bolts of it, it's worth mentioning to anybody listening overseas. One of the great things about working in Australian sport, in particular AFL, is that generally speaking, generally speaking, not always. The coaches sort of come into pre-season and say, right, what are we doing today to the fitness staff? Um, so uh, the high-performance staff, I should say, get a lot of input into into what's going on. Of course, that's a coach-by-coach. Coach. <laughs> um, uh, it's determined a lot by the, the head coach or the manager. Um, but by and large, the influence in, in Australian sport is, uh, is as good, if not the best that I've seen. Good stuff. Listen, a lot of accountability and pressure as well, which is fine. Um, but at least you get to have that input into what's yeah. going on. Mate, I've got a question. This is a different one for you, which we probably hadn't discussed, which is like most things. We don't discuss till we discuss it. Um, I'm doing a talk to ESSA. This is our Australian Exercise Sports Science Association High Performance Managers tomorrow. But here's a question for you that I've sort of thought about. You're saying you're doing spreadsheet hell and you're doing team builder and, and da, 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 da. all those things, all right? What would you define, like, how much do you pass off to your staff to do in terms of are they writing strength programs, are they writing group one and group two, and you don't need your detail. But within that, what do you reckon, what's your job? Like, what are you writing? Like, 100%. Well, not the answer, but tell people. Okay. Now, in terms of detail, uh, we we like to think we can ask each other anything on this. We're not curing cancer. Everybody thinks they've got the secret sauce and they're yeah, doing yeah. something. I'm actually else. I've got an agenda with this, so just see what your answer okay. is. Then I'll... <laughs> All right. So, um, no, I don't write the strength programs. We've got Sam Dodge and Josh Manuel to do that. Yeah. Uh, Jared Wallace, Tim Parham do the rehab programs. Um, but what what my job is is to fit it all together to what does a coaching team want, what do the analysts want, um, what do the doctors and physios think is appropriate for injury prevention, what does the strength coaches think we need to do for strength and power development, how does that all fit in to the weekly, the monthly and the annual schedule. So it's um, it's I certainly write the overall load. Um, so this week we're going to cover X amount of kilometres. This training session we're going to do aim for these various metrics that we look at. And then it's about saying, okay, we've got 25 minutes for injury prevention and the strength coach saying, no, I want 40 minutes. Well, you've got 25. So 
let's have a look at your program. What can we fit in there? Um, coaches want an extra 15 minutes of skills here. Do you know what? We can't have it, but what we can do is we can tack on five minutes, of, you know, just making it practical and yeah. uh, making the load appropriate for an AFL player and then periodising the load appropriately. Um, as far as the on-field running goes, are you writing that stuff? I am. Um, yeah. yeah. And Leading question. Leading question, yeah. So, yes, I am in terms of the, um, yeah, the additional, the supplementary running to the coaches' training. Yeah, absolutely. So, generally speaking, it'll be, okay, coaches, today we've got 40 minutes of drill time and I'm uh, I'm going to do 10 minutes of running at the end of it and yeah. it's going to look something like, like this. this. And the coaches say, well, yeah. I want to do, you know, 45 minutes because we need to do this extra drill and, you know, you adjust on the fly. I'm just going to, like, as I said, leading question, agenda, all that stuff. But I don't know where you're going with this, by the way. I think it's really important. What's interesting is, you know, I have the luxury now of moving around environments a lot, and I see a lot of things. I sort of had an opinion previously about certain things about being a high-performance manager. One of them is you've got to have a job. You've got to not not just wear the badge, high-performance manager. You actually have to physically do something. Like, you have to be... Um, like, you know, if you look at a building site and the guy who's running the building site typically is he was a plumber or he was a carpenter or he was something like he, he has, he brings a skill set. So you clearly bring to your, your major, like your core skill set is really that running piece around the running program and, and how that integrates. And then it gets wider by your oversight onto the other program and how it puts together. What I just would say is that I think it's really important as you move up the chain. Like as soon as I asked Darren the question, I knew what he was going to answer. But to hear how easily it comes out, it's really clear what he's doing. What I do see, and I, I have observed quite a lot, uh, maybe more so recently, is the odd essence, the odd high performance manager here and there, who to me looks like they just divert work. They push work to that person and that person and the other person, but I don't actually do very much. Um, particularly the ones who don't go face to face with the coach. So they'll put another staff member in with the coaches to plan training uh, or to, you know, deal with. And I think, I think there's a fatal flaw in that. And that's just my opinion. So, I mean, I think Darren perfectly, uh, illustrated what it means to have a job. Like to, yes, he's got the badge, high performance manager, but there's a, there's a role to it. Right. And I think Darren, uh, is old enough like me to remember the days when there weren't many of us, right? You were on staff and there was there was you. I mean, I know you did plenty of time with the Socceroos when it was just you. So you would do the, the strength yeah. stuff, the, you'd do all the download, all the, the uh, sensor data, GPS data, do everything. So it's uh, it's really important to have a job. And I think if this leads a little bit to our next sort of subject about jobs, I think for the people operating, the guys and girls operating solo at the moment, like I get this fair, regularly, well, okay, it's great if you've got all these toys, but if you're the solo operator, if you're by yourself, what do you do? And I think, well, there's a great there's a great uh, experience to having to do it all yourself. Now, doing everything takes effort and takes time and when you start going down the tech path, it, it gets a little bit more complicated, but none of it's impossible. So I would say, um, and this will lead to something we did discuss, is, well, if you're not in 
an elite job. Like you're in, I, I see people, you know, running um, sub-elite programs and things like that. I think they're great learning grounds. I think they are massive. And I think if you're doing it yourself, I think, again, it brings a broader uh, skill set. What do you think, man? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Two Coaches and a Coffee is proudly sponsored by SpeedSig. If you work with field sport athletes, understanding how your players generate and control speed is critical to your effectiveness as a coach, medical practitioner, or sports scientist. Acceleration, speed, and deceleration not only can be generated using unique individual strategies, but those strategies change as an athlete gets stronger, as they develop better skills, most definitely when they suffer injuries, and as the athlete gets older. Does your athlete monitoring program cover these variables? SpeedSig uses IMU GPS technology that your team is already using to provide biomechanically validated and reliable data that describes how an athlete generates and controls speed. Check out our website for more detail at speedsig.com. Now back to two coaches and a coffee. Yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting one because um, increasingly now you see too many uh, people who are specifically trained in one area and even more alarmingly specifically at one club. And that's just a dangerous combination. If if you are a biomechanist and have all, and have done your intern, internship at Chelsea Football Club and then a job came up and so you got a full-time job at Chelsea Football Club and it's a club around the corner from where you live and it's the you know the club that you supported and so life's great and that's wonderful and that is great and absolutely hats off to you but there will come a time when if you want to progress through the ranks um or you or you just simply want to become a more well-rounded practitioner you need to um spread your wings a little bit and um take over a program yourself so the advice that I give to just about everybody, uh, anybody who asks, is uh, go and coach a team anywhere, under 15s, your brothers, your sisters, your nephew, your niece. Go and coach a team. Ange Postacoglu, flavour of the year at the moment, when he got sacked from or left Brisbane, I can't remember um, uh, when it was, but he then went and coached his local team where he grew up in South Melbourne and just went and uh, two nights a week, just went and coached a bunch of kids um, to fall in love with coaching again and to keep himself sharp, and that's just what he did. And, uh, look, it's a no-brainer for me to um, to do something like that and to, to not, I guess, look on that negatively. If you look at some people in the industry that I can think of offhand, so Keir Wenham Flat, just, you know, he's outspoken guy in the industry, but he... Um, Dropped the uh, the elite program that he was in and and started up his own um, his own online business and clearly doing well out of it. Um, uh, who else? You've got uh, Athletes Authority and those guys are doing an amazing job. Um, uh, I know Jordan Milsom, who's one of the best around, who you know really well. Um, uh, he he's invested in a uh, performance centre in Liverpool where he was. Um, he's now in Saudi Arabia and doing a great job with Stephen Gerrard. But when he was out of work, he went and worked into that 
facility, which he's um, part owner of with a couple of other really good people. So um, I don't think it's any worse or better. And I'll put it back on you. You've been out of the elite performance industry full time for, I don't know, a couple of years now. Um, three years, you're a high school coach. Yeah. Um, I would argue, I would guess that you're a better coach now than you ever have been um, just from the range of experiences that you've had since. I um, think, um, mate, you did right. I, look, I after I finished in the AFL, I went back to high school uh, out of need, um, but I would say I remain there now because I really enjoy it. Um, I've probably had that experience in a couple of uh, a couple of times in my career that you move through different phases. Like, for instance, everyone talks about the Wallabies and how great that experience is. Yes, it is. But ultimately, you're, you're, conditioned, you're working with people in a very short time frame and they're already elite. Some of them are, you know, super elite athletes. You're not going to change mm. a whole lot. Whereas when you, you're with kids and unfortunately, um, I see a lot of kids with rehab. I've seen an enormous amount of trauma uh, and stress fractures that occur just because kids are playing sport. There's some underlying factors to that, but your ability to help kids in that space. So I've got the first kid I met when I went to my high school job had had three pars intraarticularis stress fractures back to back, and he was in year 10. And the day I met him, he was basically, I met him and he started crying. He's like, what's going I want to play football. Anyway, long story short, you're able to impact that. The kid's now, he's underage, so he'll go to the draft next year, but he'll he'll get drafted. I've no doubt about that. Like the kid runs, you know, 6'4", approaching 90 kilos, runs a 6'30", 2K. Um, you know, he's he's a good athlete, good uh, half-forward type guy. But you've had a significant impact, like, and you haven't made just a little bit of change. You've been able to make a lot of change to help kids. So I think there's a lot in it. And I would concur with what you said, particularly really early stage coaches, um, coach anybody. Anybody who will listen, um, develop your develop your art, develop your skills, develop if they want to call it, develop your trade. But I remember years ago, years ago when I came, I lived overseas for a while, came back to Australia, pro sport, rugby in particular, 90, 95, 96, was just kicking off. And I was still coaching overweight dudes who just wanted to lose weight and be healthy. Like, But you taught, I taught one guy how to swim. You know, you, you get things, I think you learn how to coach and there, there is there is a difference, and I do believe this, um, there's the high-performance manager thing and I think you can even call yourself that, but I still think at your heart, and I'm commenting on you, you're still a coach, same as me. Like I, I, tell, I call myself now, I'm not biomechanist, PhD, it's, I'm a coach who does science stuff, that's it, right? So I'm a coach first and foremost, and I think anything you can do to improve your coaching, either know more about it, but also learn how to communicate it, I think is awesome. I think, too, you mentioned the word range. There's a book by a guy named David Epstein um, called Range, which he talks yeah. about why generalists you know, survive, succeed in a, uh, in a specialist world. I think there's a real – it's a good book to read. I do – this is another book review for us, right? This is our second book review. We did one a couple of weeks ago. I think books like that really just open your eyes. 
Uh, don't get too bogged down early um, in your career. All that being said, I'll make one other comment on something Darren said. I think if uh, one of the benefits of a sport team is that you have a mentor fundamentally there every day. Uh, and I took great pride when I was in particularly the AFL of making sure I was able to be in a position to help teach and develop my staff who have all gone on to great jobs now. Um, I would hope anybody in that role does the same thing. But you've got that mentor there all the time, so there's lots. If you're not in a team job, I think you've got to work very hard to get mentors that are constantly helping you evolve. Like you can get caught get caught too much on your own sometimes in uh, in those private jobs. Anyway, I'll get off the soapbox, mate. I no, I think... Um, I've commented on you a lot today. Yeah, well, I think what it comes down to is um, there are many roles in the industry, right, and um, we've been lucky enough to work through or worked hard enough, whatever you want to put it down to, to um, work in elite sport, which is which is great, and that, that's been fine. Um, but I don't think... Uh, working with uh, the Adelaide Crows is any more noble than working with, um, you know, the uh, Saint Peter's College here in here in Adelaide, or you know, there's there's we're doing virtually the same things, and people say, well, you know, you're dealing with far more expensive athletes, or yeah, you are, but you you're applying the same principles, um, yeah. and you're learning the same things, and <laughs> arguably in um, in more sub-elite settings, you're able to impact more than what you are at a lot of elite settings because of so many confounding, uh, excuse me, so many confounding variables. So um, I'll, I'm, I've certainly in the last year or so taken steps to safeguard myself um, financially if if things go badly, um, you know, and and I'll, I'll be working in the... Um, in the sub-elite or non-elite or general practice, whatever you want to call it, field, and with no, um, you know, no shame or anything like that. Like that, that's um, I'm looking forward in many ways to to delving into that shortly. Um, so yeah, I, I just wanted to sort of make that comment that people look at the elite level as that's where the best practitioners are, and it's just bullshit. Yeah, I, w- I would make it. It's interesting when I went back to high school, I actually sat in my own head. And I did say to the group at one point, because people were saying, like, why are you coming to work here? Why are you? Why are you working here? I'm like, well, I want to stay living in Perth. And there just aren't any pro other pro teams here, pretty much. Um, but I made a point of saying, well, here's the thing. If you think I'm at such a high level, you're coming up to my level. I'm not coming down to yours. Yeah, great call. Um, so get on your bike, let's get to work. My expectations remain the same. I don't mean you have to squat 200 kilos, but I expect your yes. diligence to the task at 20 kilos to be the same as 200 kilos. And I I always bark at my kids when they're learning, like don't pick up a, an empty bar in a relaxed, like pick up an empty bar like it's 200 kilos because one day maybe it will be and you won't have practised the skill. And you know, yeah. we, we harp on that all the time. Same running, same the whole, all of it. So, I, as you said, I, whether it's nobility, but you should take always, always, always take pride in your work um, at the highest level possible because if you do get not, not so much stuck, but your career doesn't progress quite the, quite the way you would you anticipate, your time might come, but it's going to come, it'll always come. Um, 
when people observe your work or see your work and you're not looking and they just see it. It's yeah, not yeah. you're putting on a show. It's when people hear, wow, he's doing good things there. What are they, you know. It's never while you're there and while you're looking. So taking pride in what you do at all stages is what ends up defining, I think, how you operate as a as a coach, a sports scientist, uh, God forbid, a physiotherapist, if we go back on that bandwagon. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, the other thing about that, and it's a slightly different topic, but, but more or less the same thing, let's say you're in an environment where... Um, uh, and we'll go two ends of the spectrum. Absolute elite environment. New coach comes in. Coach comes in with all of their people, his or her people. You stay on, but your ability to impact the program is limited because the coach is brought in um, his or her own people. Or you uh, go down to the local uh, semi-professional CBA basketball team the Sturt Sabres is my local team, and and uh, let's say I went down there to to be their, um, you know, high performance coach at uh, whatever whatever salary, but they have no facility, you know, very little equipment, very little. Um, too many people in either of those situations sit there and say, "Well, I can't do anything. I can't, you know, look at this shit gym that I'm in. Look at these players; they're working all day, and then they're trying to, or." I mean, the French coach has come in and brought all um, his French people and so I can't really do anything. So, you know, why bother? Um, I have been in that situation and I wrote a list and I got to about 28 things that I could do in that situation. So 28 things in, in both of those situations where I'd gone from a professional setting to a very much a sub-elite setting um, uh, and also been in a situation where a coach has come in and brought in all their people in. And in both times I wrote down, okay, what can I do? In the, what can I control in this? What can I influence? And it was things like player education, player warm-ups, um, player nutritional knowledge, you know, pre-match meals, all, all those sorts of things which you can control in those sorts of things, in those sorts of scenarios. So um, it's nothing, nothing more frustrating than sitting in meetings. Well, we'd like to do that, but the coach won't. Oh, we'd like to do that, but... You know, this player won't listen to us anyway. So why bother? No, oh, mate, you, you're dead right. And if you put, let's go slightly on that continuum from um, Sturt Sabres and the local out to elite. Let's pull it back just a little bit. So you're in an elite setting, but you're with a coach. And I'll give you an experience where you've been a coach, and I've been in two long-term relationships, so to speak, in sport. But the coach is one thing for a period, and then they decide to change, and it's like, hang on. We had a system that was working, a method of communication, and then they change it. And they change it only because they feel there's something personal going on that they need. I actually had one coach tell me that uh, he needed to challenge me more. I'm like, man, I'm giving you everything i got. What would you like a limp? Like what? So then the mind game started. That was ridiculous, but he ended up getting fired anyway. Um, but I think there's that impact of, again, there because it's a it's still an interpersonal relationship, right? Job coaches will ultimately go the way they want to go, and, and and arguably, I was in a position where our results were massively impacted by, like we've said before, 
where where does the where does ninety nine point nine percent of the load come from? Football training. So when the boss decides to go that way and he says we're going to do more and more, you can only advise. And unfortunately, sometimes you come out on the right side of that equation and survive. Sometimes you do not, because that's the nature of our gig. We're never going to. We're always going to bounce around. And I guess that feeds to something you said. You, you mentioned, you know, you're trying to do things in the background to get to secure yourself. People talking about their um, side hustles. Um, I think the side hustle thing is, is fine. I've side hustled for years and years and years um, and more failures than not, unfortunately. Um, but I would counsel people to be thinking about what they want to do and being original, I think, uh, we've, you know, despite the fact we're on a podcast, we're doing something relatively original between the two of us. Uh, the interviewing people over and over and over again, I think that's been done to death. I don't want to see any more of those, right? Rob Pacey's the king. That's it. Um, <laughs> like, if you're going to educate Right, make sure you've got a really good story and you've got experience to be putting things out there. But be creative. You know, there are people moving into lots of – I know guys who have done MBAs and are taking their, their management skills and their pro sport skills into other areas of business. So, But, yeah, you should be looking at uh, at making sure you're backing up because our, our, no matter which way you cut it, our industry is volatile. Yeah. It's very volatile. Yeah, for sure. Well, well, I think we're uh, time to move on. Yeah, we're out of time. We're out of time. The crowd have spoken. They don't want it too long. Oh, exactly, so, mate. Um, yeah, well, next week I'll be in the middle of the first week of preseason, so uh, we can we can maybe have a bit of a chat about that. And, uh, well, and I look forward to go. I look forward to being back in Australia. So I will uh, speak to you then, my friend. You have a a good uh, planning block with your team and we will speak real soon cheers mate